Hey there, it's Robert. Spring is here and our branches are heavy with special events. In San Diego, we're teaming up with the San Diego Peace Corps Association for an evening of stories about the toughest job you'll ever love at 6 p.m. on Thursday, March 30th. This show is the culmination of a storytelling workshop I led recently with returning Peace Corps volunteers, and I'm really excited to hear these stories finally performed on stage. The event takes place at Hosteling International in downtown San Diego and is free and open to the general public. In Denver, we're hosting a special all-artist show at Dink, the Denver Independent Comic Expo, on Saturday, April 8th at 5 p.m. On April 11th, we're hosting a fundraiser for our pals at Denver ZineFest, and our regular monthly shows for April take place on April 11th in San Diego and April 19th in Denver. The theme will be Jinx. Please check our website, thenarrators.org, or our Facebook page for all the details. We will see you soon. Next storyteller. Next storyteller. Next storyteller. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. Today's story comes from one of our favorite storytellers, Arthur Salm. Arthur is the former book review editor and columnist for the San Diego Union Tribune and author of the novel Anyway. This story was recorded live on March 14, 2017 at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego, California. The theme of the evening was popular. In early 1962, I was in, uh, at uh, Pine Junior High School in Carlsbad. Um, and once a week we would have music class. Uh, and music class was taught by a huge guy, big imposing guy. He looked like a giant to me. He was probably about 6'2 or 6'3", um, named Mr. Powell. And um, Mr. Powell um, hated our guts, and it was mutual. Um, all we would do in music class, we would go to music class, we had these songbooks. Mr. Powell would be behind the piano and, and stand behind the piano and one by one, he would go through the class, and we would pick songs to sing, for the whole class to sing, from out of the music book. And he would play the piano and look at us and as he was playing and scowl and snap at people if they weren't singing. This is all we ever did. Um, he especially hated me because one time, while he was playing the piano and scowling, a um, kid next to me, a little kid named Billy Ford, leaned over and said, he looks like he's scratching his balls. I was 12, you know, I was, on, I was practically on the floor, I was hysterical, and Mr. Powell stopped playing and said, of course, Arthur, what's so funny? And I said, nothing. So that was Mr. Powell. Um, now, to be fair, um, Billy Ford was a little bit of a cut up, and one day Mr. Powell sent him to the office, and here's how he sent him to the office. Um, Billy was messing around. Mr. Powell walked down the aisle, grabbed him by the back of the collar, hauled him out of his chair, hauled him toward the door, but before he threw him out the door, he threw him into the wall, first, face first into the wall. Billy bounced off the wall. Mr. Powell caught him, took a step sideways, and flung him out the door. Um, so we didn't like Mr. Powell. Um, now, I had noticed that whenever we were singing the songs, whenever someone uh, would pick a song called De Blue Tail Fly. Does it, people know De Blue Tail Fly? Jimmy Crack Corn, I don't care. It's an old traditional uh, American song. Mr. Powell would get a sour look on his face and roll his eyes. and It was obvious he didn't like De Blue Tail Fly, which meant that 
from then on, every time I picked a song, I would pick Deep Blue Tail Fly because I knew it annoyed him. Um, Twelve years old, and I already knew how to be passive aggressive. It's, it's something of a prodigy in that, in that, in that remark. I would always pick the Blue Tail Fly. Now, stop. I'm going to put a footnote here, and I'm going to talk for just a second about the Blue Tail Fly. Um, now, when I was putting this story together in my mind, how I was going to do it, I knew I was going to talk about the Blue Tail Fly, and I thought I'd like to bring the end of the story around so that my last words of this story were the Blue Tail Fly because I like saying Deep Blue Tail Fly, because it's got a nice ring to it. But I started thinking about the lyrics of Deep Blue Tail Fly. Now, uh, Jimmy Crack Corn, I don't care, that's the chorus. And the last line of the chorus is, Masses Gone Away. And I thought, oh my god, this is an incredibly racist song. This is about happy slaves on the plantation. I can't, I can't, I can't use this. I thought, oh, I'll just explain to people that we didn't know what we were singing. But then I got, you know, so it wasn't really racist. But then I got curious, and I looked it up. It turns out it's an incredibly revolutionary song. The, 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 the main body of the song, and this verse certainly was not in our songbook, was that this, the blue tail fly bites the mass's horse. The horse bucks, throws him into a ditch, he breaks his neck, and he's dead. I thought, cool. <laughs> I can use that. And, 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 and furthermore, what is cracked corn? Cracked corn is a really low-grade type of corn that they would feed slaves when they locked them up for a week or so. They'd give them cracked corn. And the original lyric was not Jimmy Crack Corn. It was Gimme Crack Corn. So the slaves were saying, you can give me crack corn. I don't care. The master's dead. So I thought, this is fantastic. I'll use, I'll, I can use that in the story after all. End of footnote. Uh, back, 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 to, back to school. Um, a few months later, Billy Ford comes up to me and says, um, pal's gone. I said, what do you mean pal's gone? He said, he's gone for the rest of the year. We're, we're rid of him. He's, he's gone. And I know teachers don't leave in the middle of the year. I, I said, what happened? He said, some kind of problem with his family. He's gone. We're going to have an art teacher for the rest of the year or something. And sure enough, we never saw Mr. Powell again. Jump forward 13 or 14 years. I was reading a book by a guy named Joseph Wambaugh. Anybody heard of Joseph Wambaugh? No, what a shame. Um, Joseph Wambaugh was an LAPD uh, he was a, a police officer. And in the later years of his career, he was a police officer for about 14 years. He started writing, and he wrote a series of novels called um, um, uh, The New Centurions, was made into a movie with George C. Scott and Stacey Keach, a bunch of other novels. But then he wrote a nonfiction book uh, called The Onion Field. And The Onion Field was about something that had happened in 1963. Um, two plain, there was a series of liquor store robberies in L.A., and two plainclothes cops were out w driving around late one night, and they saw some people make an illegal U-turn, a couple of suspicious-looking characters. They pulled them over. The guys get out of the car with guns, um, put a gun to the head of one of the cops, made the other cop give up his gun, which was a very controversial, turned out to be a very controversial thing. Whole LAPD pr procedurals were revised because of this. They made the cops get in the car and drive them north at gunpoint, up what was then Route 99, up over the grapevine, down into the, down into the valley, toward Bakersfield. As they're getting towards Bakersfield, this is the middle of the night, they make them turn off. It's nothing but, 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 agriculture there. The, 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 onion, the, the onions were in the air so thick you'd, your, their eyes would water just from the onions. They made the cops get out of the car. They shot one of them in the mouth immediately then shot him to death as he lay on the ground. The other cop ran screaming, terrified into the night. They got in their car chasing him, firing after him, missed, couldn't catch him. He got to a farmhouse. They were caught the next day. This was a huge, 
huge story in LA and all throughout Southern California. They called them the onion field killers. Uh, first because of the controversy of the guy giving up the gun, and second because of the, just the horrific nature of, of, of the crime. I mean, it was a big deal, the onion field, uh, the onion field killers. And Joseph Wambaugh wrote this book called The Onion Field. So I'm about 23 or 24, 25, and I'm reading The Onion Field. Very good book. I really recommend it. Um, and I'm reading about um, uh, the main killer. The other guy was kind of his sidekick. And it said, um, uh, yeah, the main killer, Greg, Greg Powell, whose father was a music teacher in Carlsbad, California. <laughs> Mr. Powell's son was the Onion Field killer. That's why he left in the middle of the year. And I looked up the dates. Sure enough, that was the middle of my, of my seventh grade. That's why he left. He's the, he's the Onion Field killer. Oh, my God. So let's jump forward another 20 years. We're merely moving along here. By this time, I was, I was a reporter uh, with the Union Tribune and a book review editor. And Joseph Wombo had written a book called Lines and Shadows, a nonfiction book about one of the first books to really treat the um, look at the border patrol, what was going on on the border. Uh, and so, uh, and he had moved to Coronado. So I thought, oh, this is a good local story, and I really liked Wampa. So um, I set up an interview with him, and I interviewed him for about an hour. We talked, and I got all the information I needed. At the end of an hour, I put down my notebook, put down my pen, and I said, now I'm going to tell you a story. And I told him my side of the Onionfield story, because the Onionfield was an incredibly popular book. It was on the New York Times bestseller list. It's still in print to this day. Um, so I told him the story. But there was something else, was, and that was that, uh, I'll back up a little bit, a few years after the book came out, they made a movie out of it, fantastic movie, James Woods, Ted Danson's first, um, first movie, he was one of the cops. Um, and, and so naturally I went to see the movie, and in the movie, during the penalty phase of the, phase of the trial, they're bringing, um, they're gonna bring uh, Powell's father to the stand, and I thought, oh, I'm gonna see a movie representation of Mr. Powell, this is, this is Great, you know, big old giant Mr. Powell. So they called Gregory Powell's father, and the actor they got was this little meek guy with a little pencil-thin mustache, and he's, he's all like this. And I thought, oh my God, that's Hollywood for you. You know, I, 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 know, be you know, I, I know better. But so when I was talking to Joseph Wamba, I said, what, what's going on? Why, was, why, why did they cast this meek little guy? And he said, old man Wamba wouldn't talk to me wouldn't take my calls, he wouldn't meet with him, I didn't know what he looked like. Uh, but uh, Greg Powell, when, when, when uh, Wamba interviewed him in prison, described his father as spineless, weak. Uh, my mother bullied him, we all bullied him, I had no respect for him. And I thought, wow, this guy has his home life where he's disrespected by his whole family and then he comes to school and he terrorizes us, just terrorizes us. So. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of, uh, just to conclude, I'm going to give you an update. Um, I like epilogues, too. I really like epilogues. I'm going to give you an update on everybody. Um, Joseph Wambaugh is now about 80 years old. I don't know if he still lives in Coronado, but um, um, he's still writing books, still going strong. Uh, Gregory Powell um, applied for parole many, many, many times. The last time in 2010 was turned down, and he died in Vacaville Prison in 2012 at the age of 79 having spent the last 49 years of his life in prison. Um, uh, old man Powell never came back to school. Uh, no idea what happened to him. Uh, he was described as a meek, um, spineless, um, ineffective man, but he was a monster. I know. I was there. Um, the last update is me. Um, 
Mr. Powell gave me, before he left, he gave me the only D I ever got in school, uh, based on the blue tail fly, I guess. Um, my, my parents weren't real sticklers about grades, but I took the, I was terrified. I took the report card home and stood in front of my father and I said, Dad, I got a D. And he said, what? I handed it to him, takes the report card, he looks at it, he says, in music. And I said, yeah. And he rolled his eyes and signed it and handed it back. <laughs> music was not a big priority in my family. Um, and the last, my second update on myself is after all these years, and now more than ever, I really like the blue tail fly. That's Arthur Psalm. Thanks, Arthur. The Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Mary Robertson, Aaron Rollman, and me, Ron Doyle. Our assistant producer is Sydney Crane. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orvidal. A very special thanks to our amazing sponsors, Illegal Pete's, Sexy Pizza, From the Hip Photo, and Renegade Brewing Company. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And join us at one of our live monthly shows, which take place every second Tuesday of the month at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego, California, and every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Both shows start at 8 p.m. and are always free to attend. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter, and for past episodes, photos from our live shows, and a list of our upcoming events and themes, please visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>